just manage it. So what I'm doing, what I'm doing is, so there's a certain amount, there's a certain amount of stress that's good, which is called you stress. Now you stress, is, yeah. you stress is good for the body. So like you stress is every now and then take an ice cold shower because it shocks the body. So, and it strengthens your immune system, but too much stress weakens the immune system. So if you're full, if you're, if you're sleeping very little, your immune system is going to be compromised. If you're in a high stress environment all the time and you're not learning to cope with it and learning to relax stress inflammation stress inflames the brain because of cortisol so the moment you have an excess of cortisol your brain is going to start to be inflamed and what inflammation basically is is whenever you injure yourself blood rushes to the area and it swells up to protect the area from any more damage if when that happens in the brain again and again and again your body just automatically is consistently sending, sending blood there, which basically means other parts of the body are going to start shutting down. You're not going to process food that you, that you eat as effectively as you should. You're not going to be able to think clear. You're going to always be tired. You're going to be moody all the time. You're going to not have uh, impulse control. People don't realize when your brain is working properly and things are in alignment, you have self-control. You don't walk in all of your urges. You're able to delay gratification. You're able to focus. Mm. There's a lot of benefits to following a ketogenic diet just besides what we've mentioned thus far. Like it slows down the aging process. I get told all the time that a lot, usually from people that are older than me and even a lot of people that are younger than me, people that are younger than me think I'm their age. People that are older than me think I'm 20. They think I'm 20, 20. I get hit on a lot and they're like, you're such a baby. And I'm like, how old do you think I am? And they go, oh, you have to be like 22. And I'm like, no, I'm actually almost 30. They're like, what? I'm like, what do you mean? They're, they're, and they're very surprised by the fact that I'm almost 30 because I don't look anything like it. And I tell them, like, honestly, if I were to shave my face, I would look even younger. Mm. And it makes sense. A high-fat diet improves the quality of your skin. So butter, which full like beta carotene, helps with my eyes. Fats, fats are good for the skin, for insulating moisture. Salt is for holding onto and retaining water, which is great. So if your skin is looking good, it's because you're drinking plenty of water. So you have plenty of salt to hold the water to be able to get rid of all the excess toxins. You're following a diet that's low in sugars. So you're not getting inflamed. You're not having a bunch of toxicity in your cells to have to get rid of. So your body's working as effectively as possible. You're eating one, maybe one or two high quality nutritious meals a day. So when your body gets a chance to process all of that, you're going to sleep more effectively. You're going to be able to handle and manage stress more effectively. You're going to be able to think about things, use critical thinking, use a little bit of forethought and get yourself where you want to go. There's tremendous benefits to living a holistic lifestyle, at least in terms of being able to live long. And we're doing studies with the Okinawans trying to understand why is it that they lived so anywhere from between 95 to some of the oldest members were around. The, the average age range over there was 100 to 110. Just, okay. be, just because. Uh, so what the Okinawans do, the Okinawans do what's called a caloric, uh, caloric, caloric restriction. So they have, so what, what the standard minimum is for calories per day is a 1500 calorie a day diet. That's the American standard. They follow, they go beneath that every single day. So, and they don't have, so they have, uh, they have very little meat. You'll see them have fish every now and then, but it's mostly lots of vegetables, pure straight white rice. They follow caloric restriction and they don't eat all the time. What you see, Western society is the only society in the, I don't want to say on the history of the planet, but pretty much recently to the history of the planet that is told to consume three meals a day. Three square meals a day is the normal. Most cultures, because most cultures were so poor, what the standard was is you would have one, two meals max a day. You go, you go back east, that's normal. Very, very normal. Only in the west. And it was due to the advent of this gentleman, John Kellogg. He was a doctor. And he stressed the importance of breakfast being the most important meal of the day. He was the same one who 
I don't know if you've heard of Kellogg's cereal. Yeah. Kellogg's cereal, literally, he was a, so he went, he was in Ireland. If, if I, I want to make sure I, I, I get this right, but he was in Ireland. He was doing some studies in the nutrition. He saw that the Irish would have this, like this potato, this, this potato kind of like corn, like meal, like mesh up. And they would eat that. And he noticed that the, they weren't having the same vitamin deficiencies that people in America were having. So what he did was he took that concoction, brought it back over to the States and made that uh, a tonic or a remedy for people that were, that were suffering from certain, uh, certain ailments. He did that. And what it allowed for was people started to start to get healed. And then he made that the American standard and started coming up with some other concoctions that he thought were, that he thought were the remedy for long life and health. And he started pushing that on the massive public because he had enough backing and, and time it went on long enough. We now are taught that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And usually that's one of the reasons that in the morning, everyone always wants to have a big bowl of carbs, milk with fruit. <laughs> yeah. I don't eat cereal though. Shit's terrible for you. I know it is. 90% like, 90% of grains on the planet are terrible for you. You're supposed to have grains in very small dosages. It's not supposed to be a norm. Yeah, 100% whole grain. Yeah, not even not even 100% whole grain. Most so there are certain types of plants in the wild that have that that have evolved defense mechanisms that are a lot more advanced than the human digestive system is ready for. So when you eat those things, it doesn't sit well with the enzymes that are in your stomach to be able to break them down, and it starts to cause problems. Because the, so the way some, some certain grain plants evolved was they had to develop defense mechanisms for crickets and other insects that were trying to eat the pulp that was on the inside. So what they did was evolution does what it does, develops a defense mechanism to keep those predators off. Well, guess what? It developed a defense mechanism to keep those things from eating it. It also meant that we can't eat it. <laughs> and we shouldn't eat it. And like in East class, he was saying that you, you want to have 100% whole wheat products, but you have to have everything most, in the Most water. whole wheat products have yeast in it. Yeast irritates the gut. And what it does, it feeds, it feeds parasites that are in the gut. There's a certain amount of, of gut biome or what they call like gut bacteria that's really good that you want to feed those. So your, your gut, the bacteria that's in your gut, if you feed the bad cultures, you're going to start gaining weight, getting brain fog, getting sick. The more of the good gut biome that you, that you feed, you're going to get thinner. You're going to have weight control. You're going to think clearer, live longer with a lot less pain and inflammation. And you'll sleep better when you have too much bad gut bacteria when you take certain vitamins the bacteria gets fed first you know the easiest way to starve out a lot of the bad bacteria fasting the body has okay. nothing the body has nothing to eat on so it's able to clean out everything that's sitting in the intestines If you've ever, if I, I, I dare you to take like a, a three day fast, drink nothing but water. You'll, if you've done it, anyone who's done this knows for a fact, this is true. You're still shitting on day two or three and you haven't eaten anything. And it's because you still have shit sitting in your fucking colon. You have shit sitting in the intestines. You're in the, you're, the lining of your intestines is lined with crap. And now the body gets a chance to just go ahead and say, Hey, I'm going to wipe all this out. That's the whole point of fiber and the whole point of water. No, I know, but eventually the body will get rid of it. Eventually the body gets rid of it, but if you've been eating bad for so long, how, how clogged do you think your intestines is? Well, you should get a colonoscopy. Right. <laughs> right. My cousin was like, well, should I get my husband for, for Christmas? I was like, a colonoscopy? <laughs> I, you know, you know what's crazy? I just realized that um, I didn't, I didn't give any type of preface to the fucking podcast. <laughs> like just straight up, like started like talking and recording without even thinking about it. But um, so just to preface this, this is a really good buddy of mine. Uh, 
I'm, you know what? Scratch that. That's a damn lie. He's not even a fucking good buddy of mine. This is pretty much just like a, a, a long-time friend and close enough to a brother to me. Um, we've pretty much been through thick and thin. And whenever he has problems or I have problems, we always will get on the phone with each other and, and be the one to encourage the other one. You know, we're both avid readers. Um, him most definitely more so than me. He's got a wealth of knowledge in multiple different fields. Um, very, very business savvy, very entrepreneurial. And this is the type of people that I try to surround myself with because you become the, the core of the five people that you hang around with the most. And for me at this point in my life, there's not many people that I have in my close immediate circle that aren't like, that, that aren't, that not, the, I don't want to say valuable, but there's not many people in my life that add that much value to my life. So the ones that I do allow in my life have to be doing something to help propel me to the direction that I want to go and give me the success that I'm aiming for. And this is most definitely one of those people. We've discussed at length, you know, diet strategies, workout tips. We've exchanged knowledge on business. He was, uh, he was giving me some, some really great advice about different, I don't want to say uh, cryptocurrencies, if you will, but we have talked about that in the past. But we've talked about you know smart drugs. We've talked about ways to improve our brain and different meditation strategies to be able to get into flow state. And we're 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 always about biohacking and getting ourselves to the highest level of success that we possibly can. And as Jay loves to so famously say, you need to be a bad bitch. It's That's bad, right. It's bad bitch game. You got to be <laughs> a bad bitch. So um, without further ado, this is you know one of my like closest friends, the dopest people I know, Jay. Uh, you can go ahead and just start laying down some uh laying down some words of wisdom to these niggas out here in podcast land. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things I like talking about all the time is, is game and just like where you're trying to go in life. Yeah. Like it, like what four years ago I was I got I got dumped. Yeah. And I, it, like it took a big bite out of me. You know, I, I turned it into something positive and I really you know changed my life for the better it was it was a my life hasn't been the same since like my entire life it changed when that when that happened like now i have a girlfriend in a new relationship and it's yeah. like i'm so far like in terms of like that aspect of my life i've improved my relationships with friends like just like the things that we get to experience it would never if it wasn't for like the knowledge that we had because like, we're we're in the dark. Yeah, like, I talk to young younger guys, and they're just like clueless. Yeah, I'm like you're going to do this the hard way every single time. <laughs> like there are shortcuts. Of, uh, um, like I mean, look at us. We had to we had to do things the hard way. Like you were telling me a couple of weeks ago, trying to explain to someone who's young and dumb is like trying to convince a baby not to cry. It's literally it's it's funny because I, I know I remember I remember we were I remember that conversation we were talking about you know why why you don't get mad at a baby for being a baby so why do you get mad at people who lack experience or understanding in that particular area why do you expect these people to act like they know what they're doing when they don't like they clearly don't because if they did you wouldn't have the problem that you have yeah. You know, for real. <laughs> You're like, well, we can't really say shit. We were young and dumb at that oh. age. <laughs> it's it's funny because we're literally both the same age. But the thing that I always think about ninety percent of the time is, look at how far we've come in the in the short amount of time that we've known each other. Like, if you think about every mis like every mistake that we've made, like every dating problem that I ever had, me and you would discuss this all the time. We would go in depth. We, like you, I still have the list of the psychological journals that you sent me. To go, to go, and we were talking about the rough science of, of, dating and attraction as well as the chemical responses. Like what really plays into it. And every time we make a mistake, even at the level, even for as long as we've studied this, as long as we've been teaching this, we still study. We still try to improve. We still hold each other accountable for certain things that we do. And you will, you will, you have never hesitated to call me on a moment's notice with any type of issue. You're probably one of the few people that I pick up the phone for and I'll ignore everybody else. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, 
I, I don't confide in a lot of people. Like, yeah. A lot of people don't really know. Know you. Like, you, you always tell me exactly what I need to hear. Yeah. But you know what's crazy, though? The thing that I've always loved about you is that we don't, we don't, we've never, we've never sugarcoated shit and we never, we never ever co-sign each other's bullshit. What we do, what we will do is this. We are aware of each other's triggers and how not to piss the other person off. So what we will do is we'll find very tactful ways to give each other advice, but we'll never just outright attack each other because we both, we trust each other enough, at least with each other to communicate the things that we do and dislike and the things that are going to work and not work for us, which allow for us to have a friendship as long as we've had. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like we're in the position where we are now, where we really understand like how to do things the hard way anymore. We can sit up and argue about something, but that's not going to get us anywhere. If we can, if we can communicate properly, you know, that's the only way we really can get to this like harmony that we have. Yeah. So I, you really can't put a price on that. Like that, that comes with experience. Like I've been in just countless, countless, just fights with people that just they they don't go anywhere. You can't piss somebody off and then try to get them to understand what you're trying to tell them. So like, there's a way to do that. And okay. I actually learned how to do that from you. Cause you did it with me first. <laughs> Cause you'll be like, okay, Jerome, that, that might work that way. But did you ever think this? <laughs> you'll start putting it in my head and I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, you're right. As opposed to, Oh, you know, that's not going to work. You have to do this. I know that doesn't work with you. I remember when we first when we first were hanging out. Or I remember two things. It was when we first were hanging out. You always, you told me that you have a great relationship with your father, and that you like you have, and your mother have terrible communications. Like communication just breaks down between you and your mom. So when you told me that, yeah. I I remember a lot of times we would be on the phone, and your mom would call, and then I I would hear like we'd be hanging out, and I would hear her, and when I would hear her go off on you, I'm like that's why. He hates that tone. And I would look at the words that she was using. I'd pay attention to like the vocal tone. And a lot of times what I would do is I, and I told you I was doing this. I told you that I would soften my tone because I listened to how your father would talk to you. And then I would always make just suggestions. And I would, I would always say things like, you know, Jay, you know, I remember when I was going through this problem, you gave me this advice like this. I kind of feel like this is the, the same advice that you gave me. This would make the most sense to you because you actually said this and I feel like it'd be most beneficial to you because you're trying to achieve this goal, this goal, this goal, and this goal. So out of these options that you've given me that really helped me, which do you think are going to be most beneficial to you? Do you think this will be like this? And especially because I know that you're a big person into scientific fact. You, me and you are, are, are big into fuck your opinion. <laughs> I, I don't give a shit about the gospel of Jay. What I care about is tangible results. I don't give a shit about feeling better. I care about getting results. Yeah, exactly. And whatever that's going to take that I have to sacrifice to get the W, for me, that's all that matters. Period. Yeah, that's good shit. It's like, fuck. I don't know, like, I hate, you ever talk to people, they're just like, oh, I just want to feel better about it. And then they, like, it's like they just, like, they just want to, they want to vent. You didn't fix anything. Yeah, like you have all the problems. You're venting about the you're venting about the you're venting about the problem because you want me to make to co-sign your bullshit and make you feel better about how stupid you are. So and then you're going to go back into the exact situation that you're bitching to me about doing this exact same behavior and the cycle <laughs> will continue. <laughs> Which makes no sense to me. It's like it's like literally knowing like yo I'm going to jack off to porn and just keep getting the same response. It's like, dude, if you want the original orgasm that you had, you need to stop beating off for a while. Give yourself a break. <laughs> Maybe come back to it in like four or five weeks. I bet you you'll come hard again. And that's super crass. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <But> <laughs> like, <laughs> for our male, for, for the male, for the male consumer, they understand this shit. No, exactly. I just see two. I just see like so many people now 
they just want they want everything short term. They're not willing to go through what's uncomfortable. They will take what's convenient over what's good for them. They'll take what feels good over overdoing what's necessary. Mm-hmm. And like and but the, but they say that they want these goals and sometimes want like like I tell people like there's things that you want and there's there, there's what you want is what you desire. A lot of people desire to be fit but aren't going to take any action. When you want to be fit, you fucking you obsess about it. Everything you, you eat, sleep, breathe, and do is all about it. Like when you're really serious about achieving a goal, you start thinking about the friends that you're around. Are they helping you achieve that goal? Okay, they are. Cool, I'm gonna stay with this group. Oh, this one's not serious. Okay, fuck them. They got they gotta go. So then you start getting rid of a lot of friends that aren't helping you get to the goal, and you start trying to like look for and cultivate people that are similar to yourself, and you start assimilating those people around you. Like Avengers assemble, you start bringing those people around you because you realize that they're gonna lift you up. Like the thing that this year for me that's 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 big on my to-do list and on my want list, and I'm thinking about this because a homie of mine that told me about this that I was on the phone with earlier, we were talking about goal setting, and he said, "What are your goals for this year?" And what's great is that he just landed a job. So he wants to be a big YouTuber and he landed a job where he works with YouTubers in developing them. He works for a media company that develops YouTubers, which is fucking dope because that's what he wants to do. So he's exactly where he needs to be making the exact money he wants to make. And I remember telling him about a week ago, I'm like, dude, just keep pushing. Don't settle. Focus on how you can be of service and be of value and you'll get the job you're looking for. And this week he's got the job he's looking for. And it's funny because he needed the job badly or he was going to have to move back to Minnesota. Like he took a risk to come out to LA on a dime with no friends, no connections. The only two people that he knew in LA were me and Tom and he's making moves. And I respect the shit out of that because it does some people it doesn't work out for, but it doesn't work out for them because they're not willing to put in the work. They kind of want this, like they want, we live in a day and age of, of Insta. And I say Insta because ever since the advent of the microwave, people have wanted things faster and more efficiently but they don't realize that so dude, good things come to those who wait. Good things come to those who wait and are patient and are calculated and will are willing to work. That yeah, that messes a lot of people up, like with trading. Yeah, man. Uh, like if you have high expectations, you can blow your account. Exactly. Like most people, they want instant success. Or they want over because they hear this word overnight success, and it's like, dude, there's no such thing as overnight success. Anyone who is good at anything spent years obsessing about that thing and that's all they did for 10 years or more and they sacrificed a large portion of their life michael jackson sacrificed his fucking childhood all the way until his late adulthood to be the king of pop yeah like he didn't have a childhood and he's one of the things that he wished for elon musk is on his fourth marriage he spends significant amount of hours thinking about his multiple companies that he's developed. Mark Zuckerberg spends hours and hours and hours doing what he doing what he does year after year after year. You think he's a serial entrepreneur? They, people think Facebook was his first endeavor. No, dude, he fucking he did a, he did. Oh, Nap- was it? it was it was Nap it was Napster. Then it was like a version of Hot or Not. He like coded a few different things, and he was scouted to work at Microsoft at a very early age. Turned them down and went to Harvard. And left there and start Facebook. Yeah, he's a beast. He, um, he, you know, another one of the things he did was a uh, synaptic. Yes, yeah. was synapse. Uh, he was the first to to do the multi, you know, the musical suggestions. Yeah, based on the type of songs you play. Which makes library. which makes total sense. How Facebook, the way it's set up, it makes sense. Because he has all that experience with those multiple companies. No, I don't think anybody thinks about that. Everyone thinks about like success that you don't have to have the skill or some level of preparation to be able to get there. It takes work. There's there's no free there's no free ride. There's no free meal, and you have to work. Like work is good for you. Do you know Do you know they did a study with um with senior citizens who retired. Do you know that the, do you know that senior citizens 
who don't retire or live longer. But people yeah. who but people who retire, they're more likely to start losing their mind, developing Alzheimer's or like certain dis- other autoimmune diseases, as well as they give up the will to live, because they have. Because here's the thing, what defines you as a human being is the legacy that you leave and it's having an infrastructure of people around you. When you go to an old folks home and you're just sitting there playing bingo all day and you're just sitting there talking with no purpose, eventually you feel like, is, all, is, that, all of, is, that, is that all that there is to life? Is there something more than this? Yeah. You, you know this if you lock yourself in the house for too long without any outside communication and you're not working towards something or setting a goal, eventually you start getting depressed. You go, what is all this for? What is my existence? You start contemplating your own existence and what you're doing on the planet. What makes you worth being here? You start getting depressed. Your own thoughts can start fucking with you. It it tampers with your Mm well-being. We're not meant to be lazy and just sit around. Like like I was just telling you about my kinesis. Another thing I learned in there, you live longer when you go to the gym, when you're active, when you're doing things. If you think about it. When you're in a longer-term relationship. Think about, think about this. When you have to, when you're working towards something, you know why you go to the gym? Because you start, inter- because you have to interact with people. If we didn't have to interact with people and we could isolate ourselves all day long, there'd be no reason to get a haircut, wash your funky ass, take care of your fucking clothes, put on some cologne. Like you wouldn't do anything for your appearance. If it weren't for the fact of when you got around other people, we wouldn't read books, so then we could sound more intelligent around other people. If it like, like we need people, in particular, we need we have to set goals. Why? We need the dop- the dopamine response. We need a certain level of stress to propel us and to push us forward, to, because our genes are all about trying to propel us to the next generation. And if we're not doing things to pass on our gene to add more value. Which is just constant. It's just everything we're doing is, is straight up gene expression. Okay. It's it's pass yourself to the next generation. You know, first it's like, you know, work on your status to to achieve the highest quality mate you can. Keep go right. up, get her, keep her, raise offspring, raise them to adulthood, and then you're done. Anything else after that is just you know, doesn't matter. All right, you you reach sexual maturity and give have kids. Yeah. And we're kind of this like this we're taught to like pursue certain things in life. Like, oh, you need to get married. Mm-hmm. You need to you know raise a family. You need to go to church. And you know, it's not always how life plays out. We're not just barely true. learning that 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 there's in in, in cities where women are abundant and men are scarce women are more likely to you know ditch the whole idea of getting married yeah. having kids and they focus on a more lucrative career there were there was another study that was talking about how women who earned more money they were never satisfied with a mate who earned less money than them and the man was never satisfied either yeah what the I marriages guess. that have always worked were marriages where the men the male earned more money than the woman, which which really goes back to patriarchy. And that makes perfect sense. I remember that. I remember the study like that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's funny because, and I don't want to diss on the feminism movement, but a lot of the I, I will. I will. I'm just. I don't know who's. I don't know which part of this I'm going to edit and put to <laughs> put up. So I, you know, I have to play. I have to play this shit safe, but. <laughs> Um, oh, we're not live. Huh? This isn't live. Yeah, no. So this is so this is not live on any like on on YouTube or anything. So I have I have one camera. I have one camera that's recording. I have my laptop that's doing the podcast, and then I'm gonna take the information and I'm gonna put them to different channels. Right. All right. But um. So there was it, it was uh, we were talking about. The what was it? Oh, okay. So yeah. So what I was saying is that I'm all down for female empowerment. But what, one of the studies was women. So when women were, are earning disproportionately more money than other males, 
males have learned nowadays that they can get laid with a lot less. So men aren't trying to super achieve like we used to in the past. Men were held to a much higher standard about 40 to 50 years ago. Now males are held to such a lower standard because you're having a lot more like female, like female empowerment, which is like, I don't need a man. Um, I don't need to like particularly impress anybody. I can go make my own money. I can do my own thing. And they're, the women's status, women are, women are taking much more masculine roles than they have ever had to before. So men are learning, men are literally learning that it's okay to be passive. It's okay, it's okay to be bitchy. It's okay to not really succeed or thrive. And they can get laid off of a lot less. And what's fucked up is that it's, it's knocking the natural balance out of things. Like yeah. when women's standards were met for men were a lot higher, we had the incentive to go achieve. The incentive, the incentive was she ain't going to fuck me if I ain't got a house. Like, I'm not going to get a dope chick if I don't have a dope ride. If I don't have like a, you know, dope house. If I'm not in really good shape. If I don't have high status connections. Those things, like men are able to get laid now with a lot less due to fucking Tinder and other things. So it's causing problems where, okay, I don't have to go. I don't have to do anything extra to get laid. So why, why, why? 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 Like, why do I need to? Yeah. What's the incentive for me? Fortunately, you're 100% right about that. That's what freaks me out. I'm like, that. that is what scares the shit out of me. Is that you're able to, like... You, you don't have to be about shit nowadays. Basically, you can, li you can literally be a, a fucktard. <laughs> You can be a fuck. You can be a fucktard and get laid. Like because of because of Tinder and because of Instagram, you don't have to have shit to get laid. Now the playing field is so flat, so men are getting lazy as fuck because they're just like, yo, I can get a girl to come over and send her home in a fucking Uber. Like there's no incentive to go out and work and to conquer and to create and to be the next Steve Jobs. Like the whole the whole reason of for for serial entrepreneurship, the whole reason for these big fortune 500 companies and men trying to be billionaires and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. It's so we can find the hottest, most attractive women possible and spread our seed. That's what it's all about. And if we don't need to, if we don't need those things now to do that, fuck man. Uh, unfortunately, nobody wants to admit it. That's scared. I mean, that scares me because I can see where that's going to go. I can see like the next gen that I've been saying this for a while, but the generations after us, I'm concerned for, I'm concerned for like my, I'm concerned if I ever have kids, their generation and after, because the standard is so low. Well, I mean, it is and, men, down and men don't know how to, here, here's the thing. Men don't know how to be men. Men do not know how to be men. That's one of my other concerns. Men, yeah, men, men, like, like the school system that we go, do you know that our testosterone levels are at the lowest points they've ever been in comparison to our it, grandfathers it and great grandfathers? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like a 30% decrease. I was like, wait, and, what? And it goes down every generation. Too, mm -hmm. so it's like, uh. Which means that our, that means that estrogen is on the fucking ramp is on the rampage. Eventually within, you know, another few generations, men are going to start looking, most men are going to look like Chinese men. Doughy. I mean, we're black men. We still have a advantage. <laughs> but, but, but think about, I mean, it's the, the things, the things that make a man, a man, if every single generation testosterone is dropping and decreasing in men, that basically means the traits that make us, us are being, are gone. Like we don't have to like, yeah. we don't have, we don't have to work in a coal mine. We don't have to like know how to do all these different things that require manly type shit. So we're becoming more passive and we're becoming fucking feminine and women are, are taking on these more masculine roles and not really liking most men because we're not men. Like most guys now look like girls. They look like really pretty girls. Yeah, that's a goddamn most men look fucking androgynous. They don't look, they don't look as masculine. Not at all. <laughs> And it's funny because you just look at women, they're starting to get more, they're starting to get mm -hmm. more. So many girls I see look butch as fuck. That's, and that shit's not attractive. I'm because like, those, are, not, those are those are markers like of high men. testosterone. 
my girlfriend tries to pull, play gender roles. And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh-uh. I had to, I had to admit that in the book real quick. I was like, uh-uh. No, you better get feminine real fast. Think about this though. If your wife is running you at home, how the fuck are you gonna run a four hundred, a four hundred, a four hundred person company? <laughs> I'm gonna say no, no, no. I mean, think, think about that. If you, if you can't handle, if you can't handle your wife, how are you going to run a four hundred person company that's doing billions in revenue? That ain't gonna happen. There's no way. There's no way some pussyfied bitch is going to run the country. Like the reason that you see type A personalities running businesses and running the country is because of the fucking fact testosterone markers are high. It's been shown that most most Fortune 500 CEOs are all six foot and above. That's the fucking standard. There's very few CEOs that are below six foot. Okay. So six, you said six foot and below. Most CEOs are or six foot. Above, most C, most CEO, above. most most Fortune 500 executives are six foot and above. Uh, how big is um? How tall is Mark Zuckerberg? I have no idea. Couldn't tell you. He's gotta be at least six feet. I don't know. I just it's just he not it's like- it's literally it's 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 it was just. I forget the study. I don't know if you know what? No, it was Forbes. That's what it was. It was this weird study in Forbes and it was talking about the height. It was talking about like, it was trying to correlate with science with the majority of, of Fortune 100 CEOs are six foot. Because if you think about it, opening a business requires risk. The only way you're going to take risk is if you, if you have markers of what? High testosterone. Oh, yeah. Like alpha males are have three have three trademark qualities, they're willing to take risks, high testosterone markers, and they have the ability to manage stress. And they they can be in high stress situations and learn to be very calm. If you think about why is it most men in the military act super macho and super alpha, it should make total sense now. Yeah. It sounds like that that's fucked up. It, you're stereotyping people. No, no, this is this is just this is hard fast and science. I don't give a fuck about my own opinion. This is just straight up science. That men that are around other high status alpha men, they're going to bring you up. If all of my friends are pussified bitches, my testosterone's going to go down. If I'm the king of nerds and I got the highest testosterone, guess what? It's gonna be a matter of time before my testosterone drops. <laughs> <laughs> because you become a product of your body. My friend, they're all fucking doughy and fat and lack ambition and lack the ability to take risks. I need to move because if I'm trying to take risks, I'm a big fish in a small pond and eventually I'm going to become a smaller fish, which means, which means I need to move to a place where there's more challenge. There's more growth. Why? Because it's going to stress my testosterone markers, which forces me to what? Elevate, elevate. I'm going to have to learn to cope. The more, pre- the, more, the, the more stress you can handle and be able to effectively deal with it, your confidence is going to go higher. There was, I was listening to something by Adam and he was talking about, it was a study into, uh, oh, it was, it was a study into deers, uh, uh, like, like I get, male deers are called elks. And the study was, <laughs> this was fucking dope. He said, he said, you know, do you know in the wild? Or here's what it was. He said, have you ever seen inside of a club when you see a male, uh, he sees a really pretty, he sees a really pretty girl and he just doesn't fucking approach. They did, the study was with Voyer and Ratner where a male would look at another woman and if he didn't approach, he just didn't approach. But an onlook, an onlooker that was watching that male look at this girl. So if, so if say me as the observer, if I was watching you like look at a girl and you didn't approach her, and I was seeing all of the approach tales and you didn't approach her, I assumed that you didn't like her. But in your mind, if you were seeing the approach tales from a woman and then you didn't approach, you, the reason that we don't approach, no, the reason we don't approach is bad traumatic experiences where you approached and shit went bad. If every time you approach shit went bad, guess what you're gonna learn? 
I shouldn't approach anymore. But if every time you approach, you get a dopamine response, you get a serotonin hit, you get some oxytocin released, you're going to be conditioned to keep approaching. You're going to have more confidence to approach, which means your testosterone, like testosterone, it sounds weird, but like when your testosterone is flying, right? Think if you think about this, you know, you know, um, drinking, drinking relaxes you, but it also raises testosterone. This is why inside, this is why inside of clubs, you know, one of the things you'll see, Aggression. You're gonna see markers of aggression, loudness. You're gonna see men taking up more space. You're gonna see qualifying behaviors. You're gonna see them start expressing with their hands more and talking from their chest. Those are signs that testosterone's flowing. Whenever a pretty girl walks by a guy in the gym and I see his posture become erect and he starts grunting and he starts now having a more of a, a masculine swagger, it's his, his it's the, the habit part of his brain being programmed for mating rituals. Yeah. Hmm. When males are in the in the presence of other males, you don't start seeing um, hierarchy games. The moment that a female becomes present, you start seeing hierarchy games. I uh, know. Because they're all trying to jockey for position. Spend working at our competition too. Yep. Yeah, we do. We we spend time sizing up the other guy. Oh, but here, I don't want to get on. I don't want to go too far left field. But uh, so here's what it was. So to to bring that to bring that full swing. Animals in the wild, how do you tell who the alpha male is in the wild? Like, you can't really tell. Like, it's usually just like, like, you, like what, what you see a lot. You, you know what you see on, like, National Geographic where you see, like, the elks, like, butting each other's heads all the time and shit, and the females just kind of, like, looking and not really caring? That doesn't happen very often in the wild. It's very rare that two elks go, we're going to fight and then just fight. Like, that's, they, what they do in the, in the, in the animal kingdom is, or not the, what, what they, what they do is, Discovery Channel tries to make it seem like there's a lot of conflict in the animal kingdom, and the reality is there's very little conflict. The only time you'll see conflict is you see one male goes, I can take him, the other one goes, I can take him, and then they fucking fight. But most of the time in the wild, here's what really happens. One walks up, looks at the other one, sees how confident he is, he goes, nope, not gonna fight him, slinks off in the distance. What happened? No, the only time you'll see them fight is if they both think the other one, they think the, uh, the confidence is the same, then they'll fight at all, every single time. Here's what's crazy though. You cannot tell um, in the animal kingdom, it's not like you can pump trees or pump like rocks to get all fucking jacked and shit to sell your testosterone's high. The only way that you can show it in the wild is erect posture and, and physical bigness. And males can smell that like animals can sense testosterone markers. They can sense testosterone being really high in a male. The way that they can sense it is it comes off as confidence and then they just won't fight. To bring that back to why men don't approach, men, when they get those bad experiences, they look at a really attractive woman, they weigh up all of the options of what it takes to a fucking approach her, and they, in their mind, they're sensing testosterone of the, the, high, the level that it's gonna take to approach her and to get her. And if, they, if their level isn't in, at that level, they won't approach. That's fucking insane. That means that you are mentally beating yourself up about approaching this girl because you were going, the testosterone it's gonna take to get her, I don't have it, and the male who does is probably nearby, I don't wanna compete, fuck this, I won't approach. <laughs> and I'm like, are you, you kidding know, me? I, and I'm aware of I'm aware of all that thing, all that stuff. That's why, like, I switched up my game to, to be a little more. Uh, I hate to say this, beta. Yeah. Because <laughs> like social proof is such. That doesn't mean like it's like such, you're, 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 oh, you're it's, doing social proof. Social proof is unfair. It's just it's it's like it's so unfair. It's like the 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 god cheat code or the or the unlock. And here's what's interesting about it. Social proof is so unfair. And I'm going to give you an example of, of why. So uh, uh, my roommate, my roommate was trying to get a job recently. And I told him, I'm like, look, man, uh, here's, you, here's what you're going to have to do. He got nervous and he was like, yo, man, I'm not dressed that well. I'm kind of prepared, but I'm, I'm concerned about all of the other people that are going to be showing up for the interview. I said, well, here's what you're going to do. I said, do your due diligence about the company. Look at their look at their mission statement and see what they're interested in, what their you know their passions are like, and 
you know, look at the mission statement and use the transfers that are on there. So transfers are basically just anything someone's going to lean on, words that people use all the time. And if you see those words, you know those words are familiar and those are words that are familiar to them because they process the world that way. So what you're gonna do is look at that and use those words in the interview. You show up to the interview. If you're dressed not the best, it's still fine. Talk to the security, build some common knowledge with him. Talk to the secretary, anyone that's at the front desk. Talk to all the people at the interview. Laugh, crack jokes, put yourself in a really good mood. And the reason you're gonna put yourself in a good mood is your stress response is gonna be lower. So then when you go into the interview, you're going to be fucking relaxed. Then when you go into the interview, focus on qualifying what they're looking for in, the, in their ideal candidate that they would hire today. And if you just focus on those things, you'll get the job. And he asked me about like, why am I doing it? I said, the reason you're using the social proof is you're using the social proof because if that interviewer walks back out and asks the secretary, security, hey, what'd you think about that guy that just walked out? And they're speaking very highly of you. You're going to be leagues ahead of all of the other people that are interviewing because no one else uses social proof. Social proof influences people's behavior. It influences their decision. It makes them make a cognitive biased decision that may or may not be true because the brain doesn't really like to think. It's not effective for your brain to always be thinking about decisions that don't really aren't gonna affect them, um, at least in a detrimental way. So the other reason why you're gonna qualify is qualification just allows you to ascertain what that person finds is valuable, what's familiar to them, what means the most to them. So then you can align with those things and the longer that they talk to you, the more you're, you're getting investment and you're getting likability that's being triggered. So then they're gonna see you in a more favorable light you know, you're going to, and so after doing all of that, you're going to send a thank you email to the secretary. You're going to send a thank you email to, after you've gotten the, the director's email and the name of the game is you want to get that interview to go as long as you possibly can while you're in it, because the longer he talks, the more he's going to like you. If you do all of these things and then maybe you send a gift basket to the secretary, you're going to start triggering reciprocity. You have such an advantage over everybody else. And even if you don't get the job after doing all of that, you're still going to have a connection at that place where you can focus on adding value to that person in the, in the interim later. And he may know somebody who can hire you at another company because if he runs a business in a particular given field, he probably knows other businesses. He probably knows his competitors. He probably knows a friend that might have a business like that in a different jurisdiction that he can send you over to and you still got the job. So either way, it's a win-win situation. As, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say it's a trickle down theory, but I was listening to Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point, and they were talk. They used, oh, it was the Stanley Milgram six degrees of separation experiment. What they would do is they they tried to figure out if I wanted to get a letter to a particular person, how would I do it with no more than six degrees? And what they did was they they sent out a bunch of letters to a, to a particular address, or they, they were trying to send a bunch of letters to a particular address. And then they just did it in mass. And what they what they looked for is they saw which people that got those letters sent out the letters the most, and it allowed, it allowed him to identify that everyone that was within that individual community, there was maybe only a two, three, maybe at max five people that ever that all of those people there were connected to. Okay, which basically shows. It was, it, the idea was, it was about connectors, that there are very few people. So in a city, it's not the majority that do most of the work or that have the most value. It's usually, it's the power of a few. The power of a few really good place connectors who know a lot of people and have clout with people are going to do everything that you need to do in life. So what, you're, what the aim is, is whatever, if you're trying to make an ideal go viral, then you just need to give it, put it in the hands of the right people who are connectors. Okay. So people don't understand that a connector is basically today's influencer, for lack of a better term. Here's the problem though. Most influencers don't understand the power of being a connector, being valuable. They think their platform makes them valuable. They don't realize that what makes them valuable is the people who they know that they have authority with that trust them, that trust their word. 
However, I'll say this, if you don't add value to your consumer and you don't condition people that you are a valuable source, then nobody is going to want to do anything with you at all. You, you don't really serve utility or function. If we were to get rid of social media and had to go back to like a th you know, 30 to 40 person tribes, it would probably be only five people that naturally would have the highest uh, leadership possibility. And it's because they know the most people, they can get along with people very well, and they can lead and inspire other people and get them to work together. That's the most valuable trait that one can possess is you don't have to have the resources, the ability to be able to get someone else to give you the resources and having more of those people in your life. Because most guys that have skill, like hard, fast, and technical skill, aren't connectors. Like politi politicians, what makes them valuable is who they know. Without the people that they know, they wouldn't be valuable at all. No, that's the real talk. I know Art. so many rich guys that they think they're valuable because they think their money provides them value. And it's like, no, your money shows that you have excellence, but your money doesn't, your money is not a form of value. What's valuable is your connections. Think, I mean, if you really think about that for a minute, like if Floyd, like Floyd Mayweather is really good at boxing outside of boxing, he has no other value besides his money. Yeah. Yeah. Excellence in boxing made him rich. Exactly. Ex excellence in boxing. He spent yeah. years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you went back to what you were saying earlier. He spent years doing it. Yep. But once he stops that, what's his other value proposition? What's, what's, what's his other reason for someone to want, for wanting to be around him? And that's why I say being the connector is the most valuable thing on the planet. Because we need people. Yeah, that's the damn truth. I don't give a shit. It's hard. It's hard to get it. Uh, my first job, I, would, I probably never would have got it if, um, if it had not been for my friend who who gave me a recommendation to the to our boss because he already had value with her. So I had a third-party referral that she actually knew. So I, she didn't even interview me. She just gave me a chance. That's how I got my first job. That's usually how it starts, man. It's just networking. And the good, the good thing, like, I was <laughs> super extroverted at that time. Mm -hmm. I was just super friendly to everybody. Most people don't want to, most people don't see the value of gratitude, positivity. They don't see the value of saying thank you. They, they don't think, they don't, they, they don't think that it's useful. And what I'm telling oh, you is the yeah. more positive that you are, people want to be around you. People do not want to be around negativity. If you bitch and complain enough, you're making that person feel bad in your presence and they're associating their negative experience to you. And eventually, they just avoid you altogether so then they don't have to feel bad in your presence. But if you're positive, people become addicted to you because in your presence, they feel good. Okay. Hmm. It's like the most intuitive thing possible. It's one of the, like, I went through this period of being super dark, no pun intended, but I just, it was interesting because I noticed that that period where I went dark, I lost a lot of great connections and when I just switched back to being super extroverted and very happy-go-lucky and very positive, I double, I double down and make way more connections a lot of times than I know what to do with. Just from being polite, staying on people's radar, going out of my way to help them, always being excited to hear from them, always being happy to see them, and making people feel like they're important. <laughs> when I first met my, my girlfriend's sisters, they, they didn't like me. Yep. Because like I told you, I just found out about my condition. Yep. And I was in a, like excruciating pain, but my girlfriend was still like, yeah, no, let's go. They didn't like me at first. It wasn't until later when they got to really get to know me. Uh, but they weren't comfortable because I just gave off bad vibes to them and said, I wasn't talking. I was like, they're like, well, he didn't look like we didn't trust how he looked. Like I probably looked depressed and and, and pissed off. Cause I was in the pain, a lot of pain. 
I was exhausted, and I was stressed out. What's crazy though is something that something that I've learned. So this is uh, I was I was supposed to record this meeting yesterday, so I had this I had this meeting with uh, a buddy of mine from he's a scout for Red Model Management in New York. And I had a, I had a, I had a really, I had a packed day, and I had a, I had a packed day, that was busy and it sucked. So just to give preface to, I, so, okay, I want to, I want to, I want to put a, I want to put a lesson in this. You always have a choice of how you respond to things. You can respond to things in a negative manner. You can see things in a pessimistic light, or you can see them in an optimistic light and try to find the good in every single situation in spite of what may have happened. Now, here's what happened to me yesterday. Got up, had someone fuck around with my time. And they had me wait about two or three hours to deliver some type of like neurotropic. And not only did the neurotropic not get delivered, they conned me and robbed me. Number one. Wow. Number two, I, was, um, I had only three hours of sleep that day because I had some stuff to take care of um, at, the, at like, a, like the employment office. So I took care of that stuff. I was on low sleep. I didn't get a chance to do yoga. My back was hurting. So it was a lot of things that were going on. I had a lot of, a lot of things I had to answer and different callbacks to make and people were flaking and, and moving times around. By the time it got to the point where I had this meeting, I was in a severe, I was in a fucked off mood. So I go into the gym, I start training. In the middle of the training, I leave to go i leave to go take care of the meeting because i told the guy that he should meet up we could we could meet up and i was gonna help him out we meet up um i tell him like hey man just you can come inside i gotta train but you're more than welcome to come inside and we can talk take the meeting while i'm training because i only have so much time so i was like you know what i'm gonna double down and just do both i'm gonna train and have this meeting he goes no that's fine i'll meet you at the coffee shop across the street i'm like okay that's fine i walk back inside and as i walk back inside the person at the gym goes hey did you check back in and I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, was, I literally just walked outside. I've been here for a while training. I just walked back in. She's like, no, did you check in? And I'm like, and so she, she starts giving me a little bit of attitude. And as she gives me a little bit of attitude, I snap, I snap back on her. But I don't snap back hard. It was just very subtle. And I knew I was pissed off. So I go back, show, show my LA fitness card, walk back to go finish doing shoulders. I'm finishing up doing shoulders. And something in my mind goes, you're better than that. Go back and go back and apologize. So I'm still going through the set like, like fuck, fuck this shit. And then I just hear Gary. I just hear something from Gary Vee. It's like just no, nope, be the bigger, be the fucking bigger person. Like be the bigger person. Like you, you gotta, you got to fucking back up all that shit you talk. So I went back, told her, told her I was sorry. Turned on the camera and I was like, yo, like just so, just so people know, like. I talk a bunch of shit, but when I fuck up, I've got to walk in some severe amounts of humility. And this is one of those moments. I walked up to her and I, you know, talked a bunch of shit. I didn't talk about shit, but I responded to her in a fucked up manner that she didn't deserve. And the reality of it is, is she was just doing her job. She works at a gym. They have to check to make sure people have their fucking pass, that people aren't coming in there trying to take advantage of the gym. So why am I being mad at her for doing her job? Just because I've had a fucked off day. I don't know what she's going through. I don't know if her mom has cancer. I don't know if she might be like losing her job in a week. I don't know if she's got kids or something. She's got bills to pay. I have absolutely no idea what fucked up thing might have happened to her. So why would I go out of my way to make her feel bad when I have a choice of how I respond to what is happening to me at every single instance? What if she has yeah. some value to offer me? What if, some, what if my gym membership ends up lapsing and she is the one that gives me some type of grace or favor you know, down the line when I couldn't, if I couldn't pay a bill just because I was nice? So I, these are things that I always think about that I don't know who, who knows who. I don't know who can help me. So I'm going to treat you as if you have value and as if you are worth something. And you may, you may not be in my life, but whatever. It's just so I'd rather put goodwill out there into the world because there's enough fucked up shit out there. And I don't need to be adding and contributing to the pile. Kindness, empathy, gratitude are ROI positive. Yeah, there's this um, this thing called the chummy effect, and it's this niceness um, that I learned about. 
that something has to have. Like Disneyland has it, In and Out has it, Macy's has it. Why do to these places because they make you feel like something's conditioned? Like why, why do I hang out with my? Why is my best friend my best friend? Okay, Phil, way other people. You break down scientifically, obviously it's dopamine. Yeah. Possibly oxy, oxytocin in there as well. <laughs> but that that's the real reason why, you know, and we're we're hang, continuing to hang out with somebody. And is it too forward to assume that we can achieve if we can achieve the same result that someone else don't want to hang out with us? Just yeah. Because, you know, I can't find friends. I can't find a husband. Like you're mean. Yeah. Like nobody likes you or loves you because you're not likable and you're not lovable. Yeah. It's very easy for people to find things that are wrong with you when you're very negative. It's very hard for find people to. It's very hard for people to find things wrong with you when you're a very positive person. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone loves being around you, so people don't realize that when people meet you, your first initial impression colors the rest of their experiences with you for a while, and it's called the halo effect. Like your first experience or encounter with a person, that's the precedent of how you're going to see that person, the way that they first behave to you. So. It would make sense that if you're trying to set an impression that's going to last for a lifetime, it would make sense to take advantage of the halo effect and come in being positive, being, being relentless. I mean, in the reality of this, when you, people that are happier make more money, they live longer, they get sick less often, they have more friends, they have more life fulfillment, they're more satisfied with their spouses and in their relationships. It, it really helps your well-being. Overall. It really helps your... And that, that takes back to this, this concept of positive psychology. Like, what what can I do, you know, to improve my well-being? And that's something that's so simple. Be nice to people and make friends. Yep. Get into longer-lasting relationships. Nobody wants to be with somebody who's mean and just a hateful person. Nobody does. Because everybody, see, everybody wants to be treated like they're somebody. Like, it, it was something I was reading in Dale Carnegie, and it was saying that uh, he was, there was a, he said that most people, no matter how bad, corrupt, or crooked they are, they'll never sit there and say, I'm a bad, crooked, and corrupted person. They will always strive to justify themselves. So they had, yeah. they had this note, or, they had this, so they had did an interview with Al Capone, and he said, um, all, all my life I've spent, giving people the finer times and the finer things in life. And all I get is this abuse, the results of a hunted man. And it's like, this is Al Capone. Are you fucking kidding me? And then Dutch Sheets was like, people like, Dutch Sheets said something like, um, what was it? I, I, it's, it's not coming to me right now, but it, I'm trying to think of, uh, Whenever you attack somebody, so yeah, never criticize, chastise, or condemn because it arouses resentments that burn for a lifetime. And every single time you criticize someone, they always will strive to justify themselves. There was a dude that did some big, uh, he, it was a, called the Teapot Dome Scandal. And this dude named Albert Fall, he was given, uh, he was given contracts uh, for, uh, for Elk Hill, or Elk Hill and Teapot Dome. Uh, it was supposed to be, I think, some type of contract for like the military or something. And what he did was, he wasn't supposed to let people like threaten to technically be like poaching on the land. He's instead of doing what he was supposed to do, he sell he sold the, he sold the contract outright to one of his really good friends. And um, when Harding in his when Harding was in his cabin, but I think Teddy was on his like his deathbed or like in his memoirs, he said that that day had given him so much stress because a friend had betrayed him. The wife had had somehow seen those letters. And she gets pissed and she starts crying and shaking her face or shaking her fist at fate saying that my Albert, he did wrong. No, this, this, this whole house full of cars wouldn't stand to tempt, for, to tempt my husband to do, to do wrong. He's been, he's, he was a good man. He's been left to dry <laughs> and her husband's the one that did wrong. People will always justify, will justify behavior either for they will always justify behavior that they've taken in the past no matter if that's good or bad behavior they will always stand behind it we say this thing in sales you can talk shit about your vacuum i can't 
Your brother may be, be a piece of shit, but that's your piece of shit, brother. I can't talk about him. That's the truth. Because people hold it against you. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, man. I actually have got to get ready to go. I just realized that I got to be ready to head out and by at least about an hour or so. Shit. So I'm going to cut this. Uh, hope this was enjoyable, guys. Um, here's some content for the day. 